0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church Podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. All right. How many of you grew up in families where, like, you only opened Christmas on Christmas Day? Did anybody have that, like, rigid legalistic upbringing? Okay. How many of you, like, Christmas Eve, maybe open something on Christmas Eve? Yeah, a few people? Yeah, how many of you, it's like, it doesn't really matter, sort of like a free-for-all. It matters? Okay, it matters. Alex is deeply offended. Yeah, I see that. Okay, we'll get some marriage counseling for you guys. Um, but yeah, we think of, at Christmas time, we think of gifts, we think of things that uh, that have been given, and when you think of, like, when you're a kid, it seems like Christmas takes forever to get here, Right? Especially if those gifts are wrapped and they're under the tree, and it's sort of this promise of something that you're going to get, but it's sitting there and it's waiting, and you got to wait for it to for it to come, and uh, and so these gifts that are wrapped that we have to wait for, man, it just seems like December is the longest month in the world, and then Christmas Day is super magical, and those best gifts, if you can think back to some of the best gifts you've ever received for birthdays or Christmas, um, I, I think they kind of meet you know three categories. Is that First of all, it's a gift you want, right? Any of you given or received a gift that you really didn't want, but you had to kind of put on, I don't know. Or maybe it meets a need. That's the second thing. It's a gift you want. It's a gift you need. Maybe it meets some sort of need, some practical need. And then third and most importantly, it's a gift you actually get, right? So if you have something you want, something you need, but you don't get it, well, that leaves you wanting, leaves you um, um, in the lurch. But when we think of the best gifts, we think of those that we, those are ones that you want, that you need, and they're the ones that you get. And so I want us to look in Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to look at at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, but I want to give some context um, to this great Christmas verse that you've all heard before, you've all seen before, but I'd love to unpack, especially in light of us going through the gospel of Mark. I want you to see how Mark shows us, unwraps, so to speak, the present that's been sitting under God's tree, That's the present that we've been waiting for, that he wraps and presents, this is the gift that I am going to give to you. You just have to wait 700 years for it, <laughs> but it, as you wait, this gift is being, uh, is being presented to you, and I'm going to tell you what this gift is about, and, uh, and so that's where we're going. We're going 700 years before Jesus to the time of Isaiah, roughly 732 B.C., Israel is beginning to wander from God. They're beginning to fall into idolatry. They're, they're beginning to break God's law, break God's covenant, and, uh, and things are starting to get a little bit chaotic in their nation as God disciplines them and withholds His blessing on them. And the Assyrians are beginning to press in, um, are beginning to press in on God's people. And there's a temptation, there's a temptation as they're beginning to feel some adversity, as they're beginning to feel the removal of God's blessing upon them. And, um, that as Isaiah is warning them, they're, they're thinking about turning to their own devices. They're thinking of turning, they're grumbling. And just look at, at uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. I think this will be on the screen. You also can find it in your Bibles. It's a little over halfway, about, I don't know, uh, 55% into your Bible there. And here's what it says. This is God speaking to Isaiah. He says, and then when they say to you, these people who I'm calling out on their idolatry, I'm calling them to come back into faithfulness with me, or else I'll have the Assyrians come and, uh, and, um, and discipline them. He says, And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, Should not a people acquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, If they will not speak according to this word, It is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will thrust, be thrust into thick darkness. Okay? So what they're going to be tempted to turn to is not to God, but to everything but God. They're going to come to you, a prophet, and say, hey, uh, go seek out the mediums, the necromancers, the um, necromancers. Go speak to the dead. Find some answers for us, Isaiah, on how life could be better. The chaos of our world is is getting the best of us. And they're going to look to everyone but God. And they're going to start to feel a hunger, a physical hunger, a spiritual hunger, a relational hunger. And they're going to try everything they can to try to fill that hunger. And they're going to plunge themselves into deeper and deeper darkness. Does that sound like today? As you look at our world and you watch the news, you look at social media, does it look like? People are hungry for something, and it's turning to rage. It's turning to blame. We're looking to all of these different areas. We're desperate. We see a world spinning out of control in the Middle East, a world spinning out of control in Ukraine. We see a world spinning out of control in our own lives. Through technology, we think more in, that we can control more than ever before, and yet we feel more enslaved by our technology than ever before. We want transcendence. We need rescue. We want provision and satisfaction. We need protection and security. Where will we seek it? Where will we seek it? As we see so many similarities between the people of God in 700 BC, the world is still a chaotic, difficult place where we hunger and we, and we look for answers in all of these places. Where will we seek it? Will we seek mediums and necromancers, politicians, revolutionaries, spirits, alcohol, drugs? What will we seek to deal with our hunger? We tend to look to everyone and everything but God. And so we become distressed and hungry, spiritually, physically, as we find that we have a desire, we have a need, we have a want, and we're not getting it in these places. We're not going to the one place that can give us what we need and what we want. Distress and darkness, gloom and anguish. And so we could say, Welcome to 732 BC in the Middle East. And we could also say, Welcome to 2024, right? An election year where we're going to have wants and needs. We're going to see the problems of our world and we're going to look for ways to solve those problems in every place, but crying out to God. So that's the context by which Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is presenting this great Christmas passage that's going to come in response to great darkness and sorrow and what he says is hunger. People are looking everywhere but to God for the answers to their problems. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. And we get some of the sweetest words you find in the entire Old Testament. Here's what he says. In the midst of all this, the unfaithfulness of God's people, looking everywhere for real needs, real wants, real hunger in their hearts, and their souls, in their bodies, in their nation. Looking everywhere, even asking God's prophet to go to these spirits and mediums and necromancers. Where will Israel go? Where will the answer come from? And what will we do? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought the contempt of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So Even the people in their rebellion, God's like, I will give you an undeserved blessing. And it's going to spread far beyond the nation of Israel. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Verse 2, those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff... And the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as of the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You won't need those anymore. Four, here's why, here's the because. Out of all this darkness and sadness and sin, in all of the idolatry and evil that these people are doing, God says, I am going to give a gift. I am going to give a gift to my people. And here it is. It's going to change everything. It's going to be like from darkness to light, from deep gloom to great joy. Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll be a king. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's not just going to be a good election term. And we've got to fight for it again. No, this is going to be unending. The increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This will not be something that you do. This will be something that God gives you. And he is determined to do it. So in the midst of their darkness, despair disobedience, idolatry, God goes, I will bring light. I will bring light, and it will come through a son, a baby boy. There is an end to gloom coming. A quenching of anguish is in sight. The former contempt will be turned to glory. The people of Israel who are walking in darkness will see a great light, and so will we. It will be a light for all people. There will be increased joy. You see that in those verses? Increased liberty. Overthrown The overthrow of oppression, hostility killed, and we ask the question, by what? What will bring this new reality, this change of circumstances, this change of fortunes, this from hunger to filled, from gloom to joy, from darkness to light, what will bring it? And the answer is not a what, but a who? A child. And you're reading this, and you're like, well, a child? We need like a warrior. We need like an army. No, a child child will come, a son, and he will be a gift. He will be given to you. He's not something you've earned. You have not earned this. You have earned judgment and wrath. You have earned the situation that you're in. You're getting what you deserve. You deserve worse, yet I will give you a son. I will give you a child. He's not deserved or earned. He comes with a purpose He is someone capable of taking all of this on. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be capable of shouldering all of your wants, all of your needs, all of your problems, all of the world's problems. He will be someone worthy of trust, someone whose name, when it says he shall be called, and it gives this fourfold description, whenever it's talking about someone's name, it's telling you something about their character, their identity, your experience of them. So we get this fourfold name of this what he will be called, what this little baby boy will be, who will shoulder the government, who will increase, who will take the throne of his father David, who will be an eternal king, who will bring justice and righteousness. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what he's telling us is this is what will happen when you open this gift. When this gift is opened, when Jesus comes into the world, when the Son comes, this will be your experience of him. You will experience him as your Wonderful Counselor. You will experience Him as your mighty God. You will experience Him as your everlasting, never-ending, always there Father. And you will experience Him as the Prince of Peace. By a wonderful counselor, He will be an awe-inspiring teacher. That's what a counselor does, right? Gives words. And wonderful, meaning wonders. Wonderful, like amazing. He will be an amazing instructor and teacher. By mighty God, He will be the ruler of creation the ruler of creation, who owns the, the world, the, a mighty God. By an everlasting father, he will be everything that a father ought to be, a protector, a provider, a nurturer. And he'll be an everlasting father. He won't leave. He won't die. He won't abandon us. He will be an everlasting father. He will be a prince of peace. And what a prince often did was administrated areas of his father's kingdom. And so this prince He will be an administrator of wholeness, an administrator of shalom, of peace. That's what kind of boss he will be, what kind of manager he will be. He will bring peace and wholeness to the world. That will be your experience when you unwrap this gift that is the Messiah in your deepest darkness and weakness. You will experience him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And I think what God is telling us through Isaiah is actually what our souls most want is these four things, right? We are looking for someone to lead and guide and teach us, a wonderful counselor. We are looking for someone powerful enough to deal with circumstances that are too big for us, a mighty God. And we're looking for a father who will nurture and protect and provide for us and give us an identity and a position. And we're looking for someone who can actually bring peace, wholeness, tranquility to our hearts and our lives. I talked about the best gifts are those we want. What our hearts want and crave is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. To be made in God's image is to crave, to desire these things. That's true in every human heart. It's also, I think Isaiah is telling us, what we really need. What do we most need in the human condition? We need a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And... This gift as it's unwrapped and it's received by repentance and faith becomes the gift that we actually get. Isn't that awesome? God knew exactly what we most wanted because he made our hearts. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. We're looking for this kind of person. And it's exactly the person that God sent in Christ who came. So what I want to do is just take a few minutes so this is the light in the darkness, this is the writer of wrongs, this is the fixer of brokenness, this is the just judge, and so much more, and what I want to point you to, and I've already hinted at this, is that Jesus is that gift, he is that promised son. And as we've been going through Mark, I just want to highlight some places where this connects, this fourfold description of this man who will come, who will be a king, who will be these four things, I want to just show you in the book of Mark where we've seen him be those four things. So here we go. First, we see that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the awesome teacher that unfolds the ways of God, that gives us wisdom, that shows us the way of God, that instructs us in our ignorance. Mark 1 14, when Jesus came, now after Jesus was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He was a teacher, he was a wonderful counselor, he was an instructor. And he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God, what a wonder of wonders, has come. And I am counseling you, I am teaching you, I am commanding you to repent of your sin and enter into this kingdom. So he's the wonderful counselor. We see later in Mark chapter 1, when they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were what? Astonished at his teaching. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor astonishing teacher for he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes this was an un- otherworldly teacher and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out what have you to do with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know that you are the holy one of god but jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came to him and they were all amazed, right? Wonderful. They were all amazed, so they question among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the evil spirits, and they obey him. So we see that Jesus is the Isaiah promise. He is the one that was promised. He is the mighty counselor, the wonderful counselor. We also see, secondly, he is the mighty God, that when Jesus came, he was the experience of the mighty God. And we've seen through the book of Mark the, word of the, the use of the word exousia, Greek word for authority, the one who is authorized, who has power, who's mighty enough. Because that's, that's what Mark said at the beginning of the book, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the one, this is the Son of God, this is the mighty God. And Mark has been proving to us that Jesus is God because we're seeing him do things that only God can do. He has exousia, he has authority, he has power to do what only God can do. We saw in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, where the friends open up the roof on the house and they let the man down for the paralytic to be healed. And Jesus does something very strange. He says, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's like, Well, I'm here to get my legs back, but thank you. And he forgives his sins and it causes this conflict. And then he, forgives, he not only forgives the man's sins, but also raises up his body. And what we see here is we begin to see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Only, only Yahweh, only the God of the Old Testament can forgive sins. And then we saw in Mark chapter 4 that as they're on the, on the boat, they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee in a storm, unlike anything these sailors had ever seen in their life, begins to rock the boat and the boat begins to sink. And these strong, mighty sailors cannot navigate this and so jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat he wakes up and says peace be still and the and the the lake turns like glass we see his exousia in calming storms and what we saw in the old testament we see this in several places that one of the things that marks israel's god off as the one true god over the idols and false gods of the nations around them was that he can control the weather so we're seeing a connection here where Jesus is the mighty God. He can forgive sins that only Yahweh can do. He can calm storms. He can control the weather that only Yahweh can control the weather. And then in Mark chapter 5, we see that he has the exousia to raise the dead as he raises the little girl from life. So we see that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. We've seen that in Mark. We've seen that he's the mighty God. He's doing what only God can do. And we see that he's also the everlasting father. And what do fathers do, especially in Scripture? You see what fathers provide is protection. Fathers protect their children. That's part of why Adam failed in the Garden of Eden, is he failed to protect his wife from the serpent. He failed to speak up. He failed to be the man he ought to have been. And the whole, the father of the whole human race failed to protect. And the whole world went under judgment, and every failed father since then has, been, has failed in one way or the other. So fathers are made to be protectors. Fathers are made to be providers. And fathers also provide position. You can think of three words there, right? Protection, provision, and position. And identity. What family do you belong to? You see that throughout the scriptures. The son of so-and-so. The son of so-and-so. Father, you get, you get your name, your identity from your father. Protection, provision, position. And we see that failing over and over again in this world. And then we see what do we see of Jesus though? Mark chapter 2 verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "What?" "Son. Son, your sins are forgiven. I restore your position before God. I restore you." And he calls him son. Mark chapter 5 verse 34. He says to the woman who's been who's been uh, bleeding for 12 years, I think it is, and he said to her, "Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go at peace and be healed of your diseases. Protection, provision, position, restored. Speaks to them, son, daughter, as if he's in the position of their authority, their father. I am the one you come to. I am the one that gives you an identity, a position, provision, protection, restoration. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his disciples. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you want to know what God the Father is like? You can look at Jesus. That's not to confuse. The Son and the Father are different. They're one God in two persons. One what? God. Three who's? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is not to say that Jesus is the same as God the Father, but Jesus acts as the everlasting Father. He gives us a picture of what the Father is like. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So Jesus is the everlasting Father that we long for, that's perfect, the perfect protector, the perfect provider, giving us a perfect position in the family. And then third, we see that Jesus, or fourth, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We saw in Mark chapter two, That the day of rest, the Sabbath, becomes a point of contention between him and the Pharisees because he's not following their man-made rules. So he begins to get into conflict with the Pharisees. And he says to them this. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God meant for his people to be at peace and rest. And the Sabbath was meant to be a symbol of the fact that you are human beings, not human doings. And while I've made you to do things for my glory, ultimately... This Sabbath day of rest is meant to be a day where you commune with your God and you rest. It's a day of peace and, and rest. And I gave it as a gift to you and now you're taking this good gift of Sabbath and you're weaponizing it with religious purposes to gain power over people. He's like, that's not what Sabbath is for. It's to show that you have peace with your God and you can rest because your Father delights in you. And here's what he says. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not a weapon to hit people with. It's a gift from God. And then he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Do you see that connection between Prince of Peace? The administration of the Sabbath has gotten corrupted. And so Jesus comes back in and goes, that's mine. And I'm going to restore the Sabbath to its original purpose, which is a day of rest. And in fact, Jesus himself is the eternal Sabbath. And as we come to Jesus, we are brought into a right relationship with God. Then also we see that Jesus pronounces peace over the raging seas. Mark 4, 39, the chaos that's happening around God's people, in the boat, around the disciples. It says, he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he brings wholeness and shalom to the bleeding woman. Mark 5, 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in what? Peace. And be healed of your disease. So in midst of all of this chaos, Jesus is the one who is the administrator of peace. He's the prince of peace. He can come in and he can bring peace. He can bring peace to corrupted systems like the Jewish system at this time. The Sabbath was being corrupted and he makes it, he sets it right. The peace over the raging sea is the creation. is bringing chaos and destruction and destroying the peace of people. He brings peace there. And as this disease is racking this woman, he brings peace to her life and calls her to live in peace. So we see Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We unwrap the gift promised in Isaiah chapter 9, and what we find is we find Jesus. We find exactly who the New Testament says he is. So this Christmas, here's here's where we land the plane, this, this Christmas. As we give gifts that we hope people will want, right, maybe it meets a need It's what they give them. Let us marvel with gratitude that God has seen us in our sinful, rebellious, idolatrous hearts and with compassion told us that we're looking in all the wrong places for what we want, for what we need. And the gift that God actually gives will satisfy our needs and our wants. He tells us that what we need more than anything else, more than money, more than prestige, more than a better job or spouse or kids, more than good health, more than friendships, More than our political issue getting passed or our favorite politician getting elected, what we need most is the gift of Jesus received by faith. And that's the gift God gives. He is capable of meeting all of our wants and all of our needs, and we must come to him with what theologians have often said, the empty hand of faith. I have to let go of whatever else I'm putting my trust in, and with the open hands of faith, take hold of Jesus. What is it that I'm holding on to, that I'm trusting in, that I'm looking for to satisfy my wants and my needs? Let those things go, Israelites. Let those things go. And receive the gift that's coming for you, this baby that was given. What we need most is the gift of Jesus received by faith. He's capable of meeting all of our wants, all of our needs. We must come with the empty hands of faith. We must renounce our idols and grab hold of him and him alone. So, if we could put this kind of in the framework of our enjoy, display, share, we could say that at this Christmas, let's enjoy the gift of Jesus. Let's think for just a moment in exactly what God gave us. A wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a mighty God, a prince of peace. Just ponder that at some point over the next, I don't know, few hours, few days, all the time, really. Enjoy the gift of Jesus as the light that came in the darkness the child, the son. Just think about the fact that Jesus himself is your wonderful counselor. You can go to him and he will speak to you through his word. He is your mighty God. He has the power to forgive your sins and to make things right. And so we pray big prayers because God can change reality. He's the everlasting father. What did, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Our father who art in heaven. And we come to him as a father. Uh, One theologian said the only person who dares wake the king up in the middle of the night is his three-year-old kid. The only one that would ever wake up the king to ask for a glass of water is the child of that king. The creator, the holy one of the universe, does not mind being woken up by his kids who need simple things. So enjoy the fact that that's yours. He's an everlasting father and he's the prince of peace. He can orchestrate and bring peace to your life. So enjoy the gift of Jesus this Christmas. And this Christmas, display that Jesus is your king. We love the Christmas displays, right? The manger scenes and all that. Put on display in the way you live, the way you talk, the way you interact with people, tomorrow with the coworker. Put on display that Jesus is your king. In the way you live, the way you give, the way you love, the way you speak to others. Don't be a grumbler. Don't close your heart to the needy. Put on display more than just the little nativity set or a Facebook post, but with your own life, that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And he's your wonderful counselor. That he is a mighty God and he's your mighty God that you trust in to rule your life. You've put your life in his hands. That he is your everlasting father, providing, protecting, and nurturing you. That he's your prince of peace, causing you to live at peace with everyone. So let's put on display. Let's enjoy it for ourselves, what God gave us in Christ. And let's put on display so that others could see that ah, there's a different way to live. There's a different king to bow to. And then share. This Christmas, share Jesus with someone. Maybe you could actually take Isaiah chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, and go, doesn't this feel like our world? Hunger, chaos. Animosity, darkness, and then you can just flip to the very next chapter. And in darkness comes light. And Then we read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And maybe we could ask someone, what if it's true? What if this is true? What if light does come in darkness? And maybe it doesn't come from within this world. It has to come from outside the world. What if it has to come from God? And what if it did come from God? Maybe you can invite them to come here and go, hey, what if this Isaiah 8 and 9, maybe this is actually true? Why don't you come to church with me on Sunday as we follow Jesus around? And let's just see if he is what was promised in the Old Testament. Maybe that's worth exploring. Maybe that's worth having a conversation about. Maybe that's worth reading the Gospel of Mark with someone that you work with or a neighbor. So I would encourage us this Christmas to enjoy, display, and share Jesus. He's the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's bow. And if you've never yet bowed the knee to Jesus, you do have a hunger. You know it inside of you. You are walking in darkness. You can feel it. There is light available. The gift can be unwrapped and received by faith. So if you'll turn from your devices, the, all the things you, turn, you typically turn to to satisfy that ache in your soul, And turn to this baby, this son, this one who has come, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again to be your wonderful counselor, your everlasting father, your mighty God, your prince of peace. Even now, receive him by faith as your own. Oh God, we thank you for hundreds of promises and prophecies in the Old Testament that point all to Jesus. Like presents wrapped under the tree. They're as good as purchased and yet waiting to be unwrapped. And we thank you that as we read our Bibles, we see in the Gospels that you kept your promise, that you gave the gift you promised to give, and that it's available to all who find themselves in great darkness, who find themselves hungry, who find themselves scared, overwhelmed, and they can come to Jesus and find him to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. May that be true for every person that's in here. And may we give other people an opportunity to meet this Jesus this Christmas season. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.